Podcast episode 308. Your host John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. I'm going to make this quick because we've got a long episode ahead of us. We go over an hour, and I'll tell you, while we were talking, I didn't really notice. It wasn't until we got to the end that I go, oh shit, look at this. We have gone a long time, and that is my favorite type of episode. My guest this week is Andy Thomas. Andy is deputy director of Levitt Pavilion, an incredible nonprofit music venue here in Denver. He also has deep ties and a long history in the Colorado music scene. He's in a band called Despair Jordan, which by the way is one of the best names I think I've ever heard. He also leads a project called Lost Walks, and he's been in a number of bands. We talk about them throughout the course of this episode. Now when I say I didn't notice how long we had gone, it's because Andy and I immediately hit it off. I talked to him on the phone just to get a sense for what he wanted to talk about and you know, get to know him a little bit before we did the episode. I think we talked for 40 minutes then. And a big shout goes to Reed Saunders. Reed, who you may remember, is the public address announcer for the Colorado Rockies. Also a good buddy of mine and a good buddy of Andy. Andy met him when they were both tour guides at Coors Brewery. I knew Reed from working at City of Golden. And it's amazing. Both of those things were like 20 years ago. But Reed is such an easy guy to like and get along with and just fun to talk to and be with and hang out with that... Those connections have endured. Now, he connected us, and he goes, you guys are going to hit it off quickly. And sure enough, we did. So this is a great chat. We talk about music. We talk about vaccinations. We talk about what punk rock actually means. And although we've never met before, and although we're on different paths and we do different things, it feels like we're fellow travelers kind of along the same road. What a great feeling. And what a time to highlight someone doing great work in the community. Because when he talks about Levitt, and he talks about being inclusive and thoughtful in the neighborhood in which Levitt is. You believe him when he talks about his musical career. It's with nothing but authenticity. And I literally could have sat down and talked to this dude for a month of Sundays. And I look forward to whenever our paths cross again. So, that episode is coming up. But first, would like to just give a plug for my business, Deft Communications. The John of All Trades podcast is but one of six or so... I've got a couple in various stages of development, but six or so podcasts that I actually produce, some of which I show run, a handful of which I appear as voice talent, and I got to tell you, it's a dream come true, getting to do something that I love. And I thought of doing this after doing the chat with Andy, because he gets to work in music, I get to work in podcasting, we're both passionate about it, we've both made it. That's the thing. When you get to do what you love, when you work for yourself, he got to help set up this awesome venue. That is the most rewarding work you can do. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, if you need some insight, hell, if you just want to pick my brain, hit me up at Deft Communications, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. You want to shoot me an email? It's John, J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I'll be happy to talk through it with you. If you're interested in the front end part, getting a show stood up, how do you take those steps? How do you brand it correctly? I can help you with that. If you need me to produce it, I can do that as well. Basically, whatever your podcast needs are, I'm there for you. So hit me up, deftcom.us. Email is john, J-O-N, at deftcom.us. 
Now then, enough talking. Let's get to this week's episode. Number 308 is with Andy Thomas. He is Deputy Director at Levitt Pavilion. He's an incredibly talented musician, and we have a long chat about all things music. You're going to love it. Episode 308 starts right now. I talked about, like, horoscopes are kind of, they can't be true because sometimes twins have different futures and they, their lives go different ways. So it's like, well, they were born literally on the same day and the same hour. So, like, how do you prove that everything's predestined if, you know, sometimes twins die or sometimes more, someone's are more successful? So that kind of discredits. So it's a real coin astrology. flip there with the <laughs> astrology. Then. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, no, it turned out perfectly. Well, what about your twin? How oh, was their day? Yeah. They, well, they're dead. Destiny was the same. <laughs> on the same day so yeah yeah it's interesting i never thought about it like that and i'm sorry about him no 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 he he's uh he's gonna demand your attention That's and fine. and if you stop petting him he's gonna poke you with his nose like, like he said, did we used to foster cats we fostered probably 30 cats in our lives and 15 dogs so i have no problem with animals being animals so now that the concert season's over how do you find your days how are you spending your days the concert season's over but um there's still a lot of stuff to do. Tearing down the venue, doing a lot of like end of reporting stuff, a lot of budgeting. I mean, we already have to start budgeting for next year. Some holds being placed sure. on the calendar. I'm trying to take a break. <laughs> it hasn't really happened yet. So it's not like campaign season where I don't know if you've ever worked political campaigns, but anyone who does that, as soon as November hits, everyone pisses off to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, I think in a typical year, I would have tried to piss off and go someplace warm. And right. I keep trying to convince my wife to go somewhere, and then she keeps sending me these articles about how you know it's irresponsible to travel anywhere right now. So I'm like, all right, well, you're like, oh, come on, like, be less of a scold. Like, yeah, yeah, I, but I just feel I have some stuff to catch up on creatively, and that's kind of how my life works. Is like in the season, I get super, you know, professional and mired down in the day to day of Levitt, and then. That's what's nice about it is once the concert season's over, I do have time to pursue some, you know, other pursuits and that's music and the podcast and some writing stuff I'm trying to do. So I'll hopefully be able to like dive back into that stuff sooner than later. Nice. Yeah. So this is Andy Thomas. You are deputy director at Levitt Pavilion and we were introduced by Reed Saunders. Yep. Remind me how you know Reed again. Uh, Reed and I were tour guides. Yes. At Coors Brewery. When we were like 19. <laughs> Excellent. So we all, yeah, we had the same summer job. Okay. Uh, and it was awesome. I mean, for like young, stupid college kids to like have that as a summer job where everyone's kind of 19, 20 years sure. old and, you know, super easy. You show people around the brewery, you crack dumb jokes. Uh, but yeah, always stayed in touch with Reed and Reed, you know, got the Rockies job 10 years into our friendship and, <laughs> you know, that was super cool. Uh, maybe not 10 years in, but you know, a few years in and, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, uh, we run in a lot of different circles but we've just always remained friends and we just hiked a 14. Well, we hiked part of a 14er recently. <laughs> you didn't go all the way. <laughs> we made it like 13,000 feet and then that we hit weather at the top. Oh, that's You can't mess around with that. So, okay, here's my Coors Brewery story that I don't think I've ever told on the show. So I'm like 15. We have some relatives in. We're taking the Coors tour. And like, this is not something that's exciting to me because this is my hometown, right? Yeah. And also, I can't drink. You're from Golden originally? Yeah. Yeah, okay, me too. So... Really? I grew up in Golden Gate Canyon, so I actually okay. went to school up there, but like Golden's my home. Okay, do you know Brett Zardy? No. Okay, because yeah. his grandpa lives up in Golden Gate Canyon. Oh, really? We'll talk about that off mic. Maybe, yeah. But anyway, so uh, I'm sitting there, and the tour guide is doing the whole spiel. It's really great, and 
just up there, like, you know, this is the largest uh, production brewery in the entire country or maybe west of the Mississippi or whatever the, the talking point is. And he's doing the whole spiel, like building it up. And he goes, and we get people from all over the world here to tour Coors. So I'd like you to go around and introduce yourselves. Uh, sir, starting with me, where are you from? And I go, uh, Golden. <laughs> Cracked up the whole room. And I go, all right, I got my big laugh. I sh- thought about pulling a Costanza and just leaving. Yeah. But uh, I think I deflated his story at that point, which was really funny. <laughs> you stumped him. Yeah, because yeah. he goes, ah, okay, well, we also get hometown people. So yeah. they live with this, but you know they're interested too. So yeah. that always seemed like a fun job because I know a couple of people who did that. I, I don't know, man. It, it seemed to breed a camaraderie too. No, I mean, especially amongst the people who work there. Um, I could probably still give the tour if I really like, you know, <laughs> got some hypnotism under me. I could probably recite sure. it verbatim. Well, it reminds me, one time I was at Oktoberfest and... Uh, you know, the more I was drinking, we were sitting next to the Spanish couple. I could understand their Spanish a lot better. <laughs> so maybe with a couple yeah. of belts, you could do the tour. Totally. Just like, you'll, you'll go back to this dormant part of your brain. Yeah, it's like that thing where, you have, yeah, you get people like sedated or drunk enough and they can suddenly play the piano <laughs> even though they <laughs> couldn't or speak Spanish or, yeah, I don't know. The human brain's a kind of well, crazy, a mystery. Myster- mysterious thing, yeah. That's funny. Uh, so, okay, you are deputy director at Levitt Pavilion. What does that entail? Like, what what are your duties there? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's it's still a small staff. So, like, for me, it's pretty much he's fun. <laughs> John's cat is really interested in. Uh, he's way into you. Yeah, man. it's cool, man. We get each other. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot of stuff. It's like I pretty much sum it up the best is like my job is like the nonprofit side of of Levitt because Levitt Denver is a nonprofit yeah. music venue. So, although we put on big concerts, you know, we had Melissa Etheridge and John Legend and kind of big names like that this year. But we're also a mission-driven nonprofit. So nonprofits have to raise money. So that's part of my job is to write grants and find resources. And then sometimes turn those resources like into programming. Mm. So I'll get a grant from like a state arts agency to put on shows from like that state. So that gives us money to put on productions. Um, So I've always done that and then try to sponsor procurement and a lot of just day-to-day stuff. So I, I handle staff. And then when the show's going on, you know, pretty much everything, stage managing, making sure hospitality works, emceeing the shows, trying to get donations on site. So it's still a pretty lean operation overall for how big of the shows we do. We have five full-time staff and then we outsource a lot of jobs throughout the summer. Yeah. And we're new too. So like, you know, the first year in 2017, when we opened, like we were like setting up the site and, you know, (laughs) cleaning up garbage and and doing literally everything. And now we have some more people to kind of handle that stuff. So the more we grow the more we can actually have staff and less kind of pressure falls on those of us that kind of started the organization. That's tough, but it's also rewarding when you're at that front part because you are writing what this is going to be. Yeah. Like you're, you're sort of writing the first few chapters of a book. Totally. Which is really cool. So you're setting the stage for what's to come. Uh, does that level of stress, because that's a lot of different types of jobs all at once. Yeah. But does that ever get to you? Does that ever weigh you down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for Thank sure. Thank you for your kid. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it does. I mean, especially, yeah, to your point, like, you know, if you were ever to go back and look at, like, the guys who started Red Rocks, I'm sure there were, like, a ton <laughs> of hiccups in the early stages. They still have problems. I mean, live event production is kind of by naturally pretty stressful and high-stress yeah. job. So, like, getting every... We're getting... That side of it is, like, less stressful because, like I said, we do have a larger staff. But, yeah, like, the perception of the venue kind of lies on some of us who, like are at the top. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, you know, people to please 
we're a city-owned venue, so we have to kind of make sure that the city is in line with what we're doing. Mm. We're under the Levitt Foundation, so we always have to make sure we're kind of making sure that we're doing the right thing by them. And we want the people in the neighborhood to care about us. So that's a lot of my job, too, that I didn't mention is, like, neighborhood perception. So I have a community advisory board that is people from the neighborhood who we talk about, you know, issues or concerns that are going on. I monitor sound. We have a very strict, like, noise ordinance that we've never gotten a fine. And we get very few complaints. We've never had an official complaint logged against oh, nice. us. Good. And parking is part of that too. We don't want people parking in the neighborhood. Yeah. So I, I will say that's stressful. It's it's easier. It's it's a double-edged sword for me because like I'm a very empathetic person. So like I really do want people to think Levitt is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think by and large, most people do, but it really like hits me hard when someone says like, your concerts are bothering me. Like we have <laughs> yeah. that whole thing that, you know, music is audible. You, you can always hear music. It's audible. It's a thing, that, yeah. but we try to make it. So it's like as uninvasive as possible. You know, we want to make yeah. sure that people like it. So when it, when people don't, it really affects me, but I also try really hard to make sure that like everyone has a positive perception. So I think I actually give a shit, which is like a skill you can't teach. Is giving no. a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I, a lot of times I found this cause I do work in public outreach and I always say when I'm doing like some sort of public outreach campaign, like give me the freaks, give me the weirdos, give me the outcasts, yeah. give me the give me those people. Yeah, because that's those are my people. Man. Totally, like that that that's who I love. I think from years of being in bands, I've always said this. Like I I've played in bands with like some actual crazy people <laughs> who would like actually assault you, and I've been in you know fist fights with band members and things like that. So like Jeez. in a perception of like someone from the neighborhood who's like complaining, I'm happy to go out and talk to them. Yeah. And I just, I do have empathy for, yeah, the kind of, the marginalized people, you know, I, yeah. I understand them more than I understand like anyone else. So working with the people who do have the concerns and actually being empathetic towards them, I think is like really helped. Oh yeah, dude. And, and a lot. And you show up, you're like a real dude. Um, it, I mean, it helps that you're like, you've dealt with people on this spectrum of crazy, right? Yeah. At the far end. Yeah. So if people even start touching that upper limit, you go, I've seen this before. I know what this is. Totally. Like, that and and that it's not going to phase you yeah. is what you're describing really. sure yeah i mean i know like yeah worst case scenario someone hauls off and punches me then right. that sucks but you know it's like it's not the end of the world <laughs> you're like i've been punched before totally i've been punched before and like uh but yeah so i think that's the thing i'm proud of the most is like we do have or pretty much across the board positive perception and some people were just not going to win over and no. i i really will try but to drive myself crazy with that is kind of something that I'm working on well, because it, I do really care about people's perception of, sure. of, thi- of things I do in my work and everything. Well, it reminds me of, you'll hear comedians talk about the whole room is cooking, but all they can look at is that one person who's sure. like not reacting the way that they think they ought to be reacting. Yeah. It's easy to like not be able to see the forest for the trees. At that sure. Point. So yeah, I, I, and so there's a lot that you said that I think is worthy of, of being unpacked. One, you have the city to worry about. Two, you have the Levitt Foundation. It reminds me of when I was in my corporate job, I had like a direct line to my boss who was like responsible for my raises, my evaluations and stuff, who I never saw. Yeah. And then I had a dotted line to my regional vice president who I was doing most of the work for, but had no authority over like, you know, my job performance. Yeah. And so like serving two different masters like that can be challenging. Granted, they're probably a little more closely aligned than they were in my case. Sure. Um, But I empathize with you on that. The other thing, I interviewed the CEO and the founder of Modern Market. Okay. So, like, have you ever eaten there? It's really good. Yeah. But he said, bad news travels 10 times faster than good news. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that true in your experience? Is that kind of what you're describing here, where you're trying to make sure everyone has a positive perception because 
I mean, one person can really start, uh, you know, start a process where sure. things can unravel. Yeah, yeah, and you hear, and, and yeah, travels faster than good news. It also, it's you know, those voices are a lot louder. But in yeah. a way, it keeps you kind of, you know, I don't know. If you thought everyone loved you, you wouldn't ever improve. That's true. So too. if you interview ninety nine people and nine or a hundred people and ninety nine are on your side and one's not, like you really have to talk to the person that's not, and then you know, try the best you can to turn that person. Then the other ninety nine will also be happy because you're making, you know, you're affecting change for that one person. So it's going to affect the other ninety nine in a positive way. Yeah. So, like one example is. You know, like I said, I still want to stress that we've had very little complaints. Oh, yeah. Year, you know, like probably 12 in sure. the course of like a 65. Good God. And, and one of person who addressed concerns was this woman who people were parking in front of her driveway. And like, I get it. That's frustrating. Something I can't really control because it's mm. people parking on public streets. But again, blocking a driveway that was a little <sighs> hidden. So there were some nuances there. But yeah, yeah. So I went over and I started, I gave her cones, you know, and like I got her a, no, a white noise machine because that's what I could do to, to affect change for that one person. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't give everyone in the neighborhood cones, but she was having a concern and she was a little older and she couldn't really, like, uh, figure out those those solutions on her own. So that was a very hands-on thing that I could do. Yeah. So go monitor sound her house, give her a white noise machine, give her cones. So, yeah, that one person, I think, I hope, you know, I, I found a way to move her back to our side. <laughs> Absolutely. So it, it's funny. You say 12 complaints over, what, 65 shows, something mm -hmm. like that? That's like a rounding error, man. Sure. Like, that, that's... That's so little in terms of – so how do you all execute such a conscientious way of doing business? Like what, what are the processes that you have in place, especially with such a lean staff, sure. to ensure that you have such a low level of complaints? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, is, it does take hands-on, you know, very hands-on things like I just talked about with the cones. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, it's, it's, you know, it's thinking about who you want in the venue, and it's tough to be everything to everyone – but we are in Southwest Denver, Ruby Hill Park. There's a lot of folks that speak Spanish, so we bring in great artists from all over the world, you know, Mexico City, Colombia. So that becomes like a way to put on really good concerts and establish some trust and put on some diverse programming. Nice. So I think that's it, like reminding people of the asset that you have and how good it can be. So that's the thing about like nonprofits versus for-profits is like, you know, and the nonprofit has a very good mission that like at, at its core, I totally believe in. So there's some ancillary stuff that can be kind of obnoxious to people and that's yeah. noise and parking, but that becomes kind of less concerning to people who really go to Levitt and are like, this place is amazing. So if you go to 12 Levitt concerts and you at the time of your life, and then on the 13th one, you don't go and someone's parked in front of your house, you're less likely to complain because you like the yeah. experience so much more and you, and you get it. And again, like I don't want to flippantly just say like, oh, it's just someone parking on the street. Like it's a concern and I get it. So, but reminding people how good Levitt is at, at its core is like a very important thing. Put on good programming. And that informs a lot of things that we do is just like asking ourselves who we want there and how we can make them feel welcome to have that perception be positive overall. That makes sense. This is, I mean, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. I've been to a couple of concerts now, both venues, they were separate venues required proof of vaccine yeah. where, where are you guys on that one well we did that for the last show of the year because the tour asked for us so that was shovels and rope mm, okay. um and it didn't wow great it, name yeah oh you should check them out they're they're <laughs> awesome like husband and wife duo wow uh they've been around for a bit but yeah wait they're husband and wife and called shovels and rope yeah it's probably less ominous than it sounds <laughs> but, no well it's they're like andrew, pleasant it's like andrew jackson jihad sure right where you go wow that sounds like some hard Hard shit. They there. changed their name though. The AJJ. Uh, well, they sure did. <laughs> but I mean, everyone knows where that sort of originated, and, yep. and you're expecting a much different sound out of them than what you get. Yeah, shovels so. and rope does not maybe indicate 
how exactly they sound. <laughs> but enough. anyway, so they had asked for us to do vaccinations. That was the very last show we did on October 9th. And it didn't really affect the crowd, and we didn't really have any problems. I think at this point, you know, especially in Denver County, I don't know how many of us are vaccinated, but yeah. enough people. And I guess we did get some kind of concerns about, like, not being able to be vaccinated in time or something. And, like, mm. unfortunately, my answer was, like, you don't get to come. The, you, <laughs> you know, you, you've had plenty of runway totally. here. Yeah, it's been – we opened in May. Like, it's been <laughs> pandemic for coming up on two years now. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully that didn't affect too many people, but – but so you haven't heard because some of those folks who are anti-vaccine, they're very loud. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, don't go on like, I don't want to name other opposing venues, but if a venue has a, has a Facebook page and when they announce the, the vaccine mandate, oh, sure. you could read all sorts of really nasty invective from people. Oh, yeah. I mean, so the band I play in Despair Jordan, our bass player owns the high dive. and they Jesus, made... Despair Jordan? Yeah. God. <laughs> you're just, you're coming in hot with the names today, man. This is phenomenal. Yeah, man. Check out Despair Jordan. Uh, I play drums in that band. But our bass player owns the high dive and they did a, ma- or a vaccine mandate like two months ago. Yeah. And yeah, like this... These horrible, horribly ignorant comments about like that's not punk rock. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you don't like, understand what, does that what have punk to do rock with is. Anything? Yeah, like keeping other people safe is very punk rock. And that's, I mean, you you've lived in the punk world for a while, but yeah, yeah, this whole like fuck it all, burn it down style of punk is like that's not how we do this anymore. Like we're no. all older, and like I'm not going to get on a big like you know vaccine rant, but like there's this old Henry Rollins bit where he talks about how like being he's talking specifically about gay people like how to accept gay people and he goes like you know being gay is a curb this fucking high and he goes you can't step over a curb this fucking high and accept everyone and that's what i think about vaccination mandates and getting vaccinated like is a tiny fucking curb and you're making it this giant hill just get the vaccine and get over the fucking curb and let's get out of this shit you know well and people people will be like you know we don't know enough it's like half the fucking world has already been vaccinated totally billions of people right They're approaching zero, sure. right, in terms of percentages sure. of people who've had negative impacts. And granted, we don't know the long-term impacts of that. Fine. Yeah. Fair. Yep. Vaccines have been a thing for so long now. Totally. I've been getting vaccines since I was a baby. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> All of us have been. So I, I hadn't heard that Henry Rollins thing. It's a curb this fucking high. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. Like, come on. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, there's a lot of things that you can't do in public places. No shirt, no shoes, no service. Yeah. You know, like... You don't have to get vaccinated, but you don't get to go to the concert. Yeah. Simple enough. That's, that's fu- your consequence. Yeah, that's <laughs> it, actions have consequences. Totally. Here's the other thing about punk rock. It is looking out. It's like voice of the voiceless kind of stuff. It's looking out for those who can't defend themselves. It's speaking yeah. up for them. Yeah. That's what vaccines are, are man. Because sure. like so many people, they're either immunocompromised or they can't get it. Sure. They rely on everyone else yep. to like pick them up and protect them. Totally. And so like... The, the selfishness of the choice just makes me insane. I mean, that's what it all boils down to. It's like, you know, people don't think about other folks. Right. Especially like... Especially in America. Folks, especially in America. You know, these conversations are just reiterations of the same issue. Like, you you know, again, I'm going on a tangent here, but like government resources, they don't want to give handouts because they can't think of like what it would really be like to be in that person's shoes. Right, right. You know, like it really sucks to have to get resources like that or they just there's this thing we do in america yeah we really just don't step outside of ourselves and we really think about well this really affects me and me 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 and it's like man we can't continue to just talk about me and you don't want to get a vaccine because it's against your personal freedom meanwhile you're putting all these other people at risk and that's like super irresponsible that's really fucking up their personal freedom totally yeah so you're you're not stepping on them yeah so you are 
to coin a phrase, treading on them, if exactly. you will. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. Not, not to be too cute about totally. it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it all comes back around to these hypocrisies that yeah, right. really make no sense. But so from the live concert, you know, yeah, we didn't know what we were going to do this year. We didn't know how, what it was going to look like. Yeah. 2020, we really tried to like make it work and the city didn't have their mandates figured out in the state. You know, who, who, who can blame anyone? It was, you know, things were changing. We still don't know, have all the information. Right. The vaccines are making it so people can be out. But we had the best season ever. You know, we had like 130,000 people come to our shows this year. That's, that's awesome. That's amazing. We were one of the first venues to be able to open, so we were lucky in that regard. And we kept waiting for the axe to fall or to have to do mandates or to sh- have to shut down. And we got through our season, and it was great. And it felt really rewarding to be able to do that. And the first show, you know, it didn't even occur to me that, like, we were back. We had Pimps of Joy Time, which is this funk band from... New York, New York. Pimps of Joy Time. Yeah, there's another good God for you. damn. Yeah, man. I'll get all the good names. Yeah, geez. You know, it seemed like it was business as usual until we got on stage and, like, looked out and saw a crowd. And, like, I started crying. Like, it was, like, a big moment. Like, you forget, like, how damaging that was for everybody yeah. to not be around people. And then to be able to, like, offer that back. Like, some woman came up and said, thanks for helping to restore humanity. And I cried again. Like, oh, that's huge. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's it really is massive. My first show back post pandemic was uh Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Cool. Which was just a phenomenal show. Those those guys put on a great set no matter who they are. Totally. And I looked around there and just recently I was at Rancid and Dropkicks cool. and, and the Bronx. Yeah. And both again with vaccine mandates and I looked around and it's the same assortment of scumbags that's always there, which totally. I love. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in scumbags my Scumbags is a good term. Yeah. 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 yeah no I, I mean that with yeah. the highest level of affection. Totally. But you know, I look around and I go, man, everyone in here was at least smart enough to like step over the smallest curb. Totally. Right. It's a curb this fucking high and everyone managed to do it. And I go, that's good. Yeah. That makes me feel good. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's still, you know, a subsect of punks that again are still very thoughtful. And yeah, empathetic. Agreed. And those are the people that you know we get along with, and that's why yeah. we were drawn to that kind of music in the first place. It was yeah. kind of like a antithesis to kind of all the other macho bullshit and kind of unthoughtfulness <laughs> yeah. that was going on in the world. And but you can't like for, for the people who were like talking shit about the high dive, like I don't know, they have a different view of what rock and roll and punk is, and apparently it's being you know anarchist and yeah nihilistic nihilistic which, which i get sometimes but <laughs> I, I agree but but i feel like you're yeah. shooting in the wrong direction i think so when yeah. you do that it's just misguided i think so i mean yeah. you, you're an old punk like i am mm-hmm. how long have you been in the scene so you're in a band right now despair jordan you play drums but yep. that's not certainly the only band you've been in right no not not by a long shot okay um, give, give me a little bit of 30 seconds over broadway here. sure um yeah i mean historically so i started playing metal music when i was like 13 playing drums i had a friend who played guitar and i had gotten into playing drums because this might be too far back from what you're no asking. no <laughs> no i i love shit like this okay they you know when you're in elementary school everyone has to play an instrument <laughs> so like you could play a saxophone or you could play flute and yeah, that's clarinet great or to me clarinet yeah and i was like i they they had auditions for drumming everyone else you could just sign up for but you had to audition to be able to play drums and the audition was you had to be able to rub your head and pat your stomach and then like pat and then tap your foot and then kind of reverse it. And I could do all that stuff. So it was wow. me and two other kids who could do that. And everyone else wasn't, you know, ambidextrous enough to be able to pull that off. So they were like, you're a drummer. And I was bad at it at first. I remember like not, and, and this is kind of how my life works is I'm bad at something at first. And then I figure out a way to do it. Cause I really have a hard time having people give me a way that they want to do it. I don't ever get that, but I always figure out a way that I want to do it and it makes sense and it's always a little skewed. But drumming and music has always been like that for me where I just figured out the way I think it should work. 
So, dude, you and I are such similar creatures <laughs> because my management philosophy is you can tell someone what to do or how to do it, mm-hmm. but not both. True. So it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, like I that that was the thing that I rubbed up against so much in my career was people wanted to tell me like, okay, just tell me what the goal is. Yeah, I will get you that goal. Sure. Tell me what the boundaries are too. Like, yep. you can't. It has to be done by this time yep. and with this budget. Yep. I will figure the shit out. Totally. Okay. Don't tell me how to navigate that. Yeah, that's which how... sounds like what you are. Yeah, yeah. I've had bosses. I had this boss. This is off the subject, but uh, yeah, my old job was at like a arts federation. I had a very by the book boss, and in a meeting once, he he said in front of everyone, like, you know, we asked Andy to do this, and just like always, he ignored every uh, <laughs> instruction we gave him. Yet it still worked out really well for him. So you know congratulations Andy and everyone kind of laughed but I always really took that as a compliment sure so music was like that for me early on like drumming didn't quite make sense for me other than the, the, the dexterity that I passed and then yeah. but soon I was like first chair and I figured out how to play drum set and so because of that I had a friend who his dad was like a blues musician who would always play in bars and he was a guitar player so we like we're like oh we should, you know a band should probably happen you got two elements we got here, two elements we taught our friend how to play bass he never played anything but the e string he just played <laughs> you know e all the way we were horrible so i was like into metal for uh, for a long time when well, i was well dude that that's only going to limit you to a point though because if you think yeah. about the beck song loser oh yeah that's entirely in b i think oh i think most <laughs> you could play most songs on e i mean we figured it out right. it's got all the notes it's just not very you know sonically it's not super pleasing. dynamic yeah so <laughs> Forever did that, and then like junior, senior year, I remember this moment. We were at a party, and we were playing like DSI and Cannibal Corpse and all these super heavy <laughs> bands. And this yes. guy who was from a town over, uh, Idaho Springs, was like, he was like, you guys, we, can we listen to Propagandi? And we were like, and all my metal friends were like making fun of it. Propagandi, bro. He's like a hippie, and he had dreadlocks. Yeah, yeah. he. Uh, I liked it, you know. So that well, was like dude. the first time I was like, maybe I like punk. Like maybe I should get into punk, and then. From there, got into the Descendants and like face to face and bands like that when I was just maybe tail end of high school, freshman year of college. Uh, I got in a like a pop punk band in college because I was starting to find that road. Sure. Uh, so played drums forever in in you know that band all throughout college. Wait basically. a minute, hold on. We we got to pause real quick. So yeah. I started like I loved metal too for a while. I was really into like and it was like mainstream metal. It was like Metallica. Sure, of course. <clears throat> you know everyone had the Black Album and yeah. like I was into grunge for a while and stuff. But I, I found myself just getting bored with it. Yeah. And the, the the reason that I switched from metal to punk was punk had a lot less masturbatory guitar noodling. Yeah, sure. And so like I had no attention span for it because like yeah. I'm not I'm not a musician myself and so like I can listen to, you know, Ying Wing Malmstein. Yeah. And I'll be like, I can appreciate it. I'm like, this is really, really good. Yeah. But I'm bored out of my ass. Really? So yeah, like I just because I'm not a musician. Yeah. Right? And so like the craftsmanship is just sort of over my head. Sure. Whereas punk is straight ahead and it's like straight from the heart. It's right. It's like right down Main Street. I go. Yeah. I get this immediately and it's over in two and a half minutes. Well, I, I think that was it for me. So I did get into like, you know, when I was younger, like I think Nirvana and Pearl Jam. I liked all those bands a lot. I did too, but uh, yeah. like, to a point. But I think I knew that. So my friends who listened to like straight metal in high school, like I knew that like my personality was like more diverse than just being able to listen to one genre of music. And like, I am very like sensitive in certain parts. So like just being like screamed at all the time, (laughs) like I was a young, angry kid, just like everybody, but I was also a sensitive kid and an artistic kid and a poetic kid. So like 
yeah, punk was like kind of a nice melding of a lot of that, especially those like fat records bands were yeah. super fast, super loud, but like singing about ex-girlfriends and singing about feelings and things that like metal never got into. So Lagwagon's album, let's talk about totally. feelings. Exactly. Yeah. yeah th- that was a huge band for me to find because it was super fast drumming. That was fun. And like they have, yeah, they were super riffy, you know? Like, yeah, it's, it's fairly complex. Too. Totally. Like, like it's... Lagwagon's a very complex, hard, you know, band. But so really got into stuff like that. And I think that band I joined in college... It was like the first band I ever tried out for also it was like, oh, wow. they lost their, like a, it was in Grand Junction, but they were like the biggest pop punk band in Grand Junction. And I'd always go see them. Who was it? Oh, they're called the Invisibles. Okay. I, you've never heard them. I have a tattoo of it, but. Sweet. No, I, well, I mean, there's a shot because I was doing college radio. Okay. And so like I would get tuned into local bands and like local scenes. So, you know, some, yeah. sometimes I'd hear Grand Junction was a little bit far afield sure. for me. But, you know, you'd hear about like. I mean, Jimmy World was from Phoenix, so they sure. play like Durango all the time. Sure, yeah. And so, like, there's all these Durango bands that would talk about playing with Jimmy World. Like, right. Wait, uh, did you go to Fort Lewis? No, no, I didn't. Oh, but I had friends who were there. Oh, okay. I went to CSU. Got you. So, you know, I I was into like there was this band Knee Jerk that was up in. Uh, oh, I know Knee Jerk. Yeah, yeah. We used to play with them. Yeah, they're from Fort Collins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you might. I don't know. We played Fort Collins a handful of times. Yeah. So it, <laughs> like I'm saying, it's not as far afield as you might think. True. All right. Fair but enough. okay. <laughs> so keep going. Yeah. So. That was, you know, and I toured a little bit with that band. Like, nothing, like I said, we'd go to Fort Collins and Albuquerque and stuff like that. But yeah. it was an important band for me. And I think it kind of like, I remember being at the your first two years of college. You're just, I don't know. You're just trying to be, you're a college kid. You're kind of a jackass. You, well, at least me. I drank too much. I was kind of like a shithead. Mm-hmm. And then finding the Invisibles kind of reminded me of like, it was more my people. Because like, I'd go to like these football parties and like these rugby parties we didn't have frats but those are essentially what those were sure and like you know trying to have fun and be like i don't really like these people you know, <laughs> get along because i was from a small town so like i really wanted to assimilate and be like a college kid and like i you know still made some friends but ultimately finding the invisibles and reminding me of like the importance of like i don't know pursuing creative things and kind of hanging out with people who weren't so kind of overtly i don't know normal <laughs> <laughs> right was good for me and honestly, it's why I got, this is my first tattoo, just to remind me of like, you know, this is what you want to do. This is the kind of thing you want to surround yourself with. So, yeah. you know, and then I had every band I've ever been in has been the most important thing. So that was like the band that was going to make it. And of course it didn't. And we weren't good yeah. enough. In hindsight, we all know that now, I'm sure. I hope <laughs> I'm not like offending the other guys if they hear this, but. They're like, darn it. We were an undiscovered yeah. gem. You know, we thought we were, but we sure. were a pop punk band in Grand Junction and it just wasn't going to hack it. So. When I moved back to Denver, I started working at Suburban Home Records. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So from there, at the time, I, w- I did a couple different bouts at Suburban Home. I ended up being the label manager by the time we like closed. But I When was that? When did it close? Yeah. Or, jeez, 2000. I was with my wife at the time. So uh, like 2011, maybe, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, it was like over 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, my math's bad right now, but... So the first bout I found, they, there was this band Ghost Buffalo that was on the label, and then they lost their drummer, which was uh, Mike from Planes Mistaken for Stars. And Matt Bellinger, who's since passed, kind of started that band with his then-wife, Marie, and they needed a drummer. And like I was like 22 years old at the time, so I joined it. And that was another, like that was the most important band. And I, I think Ghost Buffalo, compared to the Invisibles, like had some legs. They were a great band. Yeah. Uh, and we toured, we went far with that band, you know, like toured New York City, and we had this big bus. And But... I ended up getting kicked out of that band. And I don't really know why. I think in hindsight, I don't think you could ask anyone and they're not really sure. Uh, I still <laughs> play with Tommy from Ghost Buffalo. It was just like, 
I don't know. Everyone was really young, and there were some kind of some drugs involved that made certain people not really like think clearly. I guess mm. someone later admitted that to me. Ah. But I look back and like, hey, I was super naive. I, I played too loud. I like kind of didn't fit in quite. You know, I was mm. the new guy. Mikey from Planes was like this amazing drummer, and I was kind of this young punk kid. Yeah. But it that was really important to me too, and. I made another decision back then because I was working nights at the Rocky Mountain News, like five nights a week. Oh, Jesus. And just like not being able to play music. And I ended up, I guess I can say this on a podcast, tripping mushrooms with one of my friends back then <laughs> and kind of had this like realization that that wasn't the way I wanted my life to go. Okay, wait a minute. So you were tripping, mu- and I'm sorry, not that part. You were working at the Rocky Mountain News. So that ended in 09 too. Yeah. So this was, I mean, this was right out of college oh, okay. when Ghost Buffalo, I guess I was trying to figure out. When Suburban Home ended, that was like 2011. Yeah, yeah. But this is all happening in like 2004 or five. Okay. So I graduated college and then moved back to Denver in like 2004. Okay, got it. Yeah. So I was tripping mushrooms with some of my friends, and one of my friends basically called me like a sellout for not playing music. And I just, I was, you know, I was tripping. I was high. Sure. I, and it made you sense. You were open to suggestions. Yeah. At that it, point. But it like completely made sense. And I look back on that moment a lot as like another guiding. I like the way my life is now. I like to, you know, I've never, I'm not like a massively successful musician, but always the same way that the Invisibles reminded me that like I wanted to be a musician and not a college kid, like tripping mushrooms reminded me that I didn't want to like work at the Rocky Mountain News five nights a week. I wanted to play music. So yeah. I quit that job and joined Ghost Buffalo. And that kind of kept me on my current path. And, you know, to wrap this up, I then played in bands like Only Thunder and Tin Horn Prayer. And I started playing guitar and singing in that band. I joined a band called The New, which was like a kind of bigger Denver band. And yeah, so now I play in Despair Jordan and this band Lost Walks. That's like a rock opera that I've written with my wife. Nice. And we have an album called Blood Lantern coming out. It's kind of the continuation of this last rock opera that we put out. So music now for me is something that, you know, I still take very seriously. I don't tour really as much as I used to. I guess I should mention that I had like a solo project called Dust Heart for a while in there. And that was the most touring I did, like toured Europe a couple of times and everything like that. I don't have the same aspirations to do that type of stuff, but I really like playing music. I really like taking it seriously. And music now, it's funny, I, and I've I've had this realization a lot. Like I'm as good at music right now as I've ever been. Like yeah. I'm in great bands. I write good music, but I'm 40, so it's like sure. most industries. When you're like this far in, you're like starting to get promotions, and people look at you and they're like, "Man, you're so good at your job because you've been doing it for so long." Music's <laughs> the one where they're like. Well, of course you're good at it. You've been doing it for so long, but should you still be doing it? Yeah, but you're you know? old now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, everyone's looking for like the next, you know, 18 year old or 22 totally. year old, and you go, what? What do they know? Totally. Well, it's like yeah, in a, any other job setting, would you rather hire the 40 totally. year old with 20 years of experience or the 23 year old? But in music, it's like, well, the 23 year old has a better shot at making it because they're 23. The 40 year old who's yeah. really good at it is over the hill, and it's like that's not fair. <laughs> no, uh, no, that does suck. Yeah. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball, mm-hmm. at one point Brad Pitt is, you know, he's tra- he's wheeling and dealing on the phone, and Jonah Hill is looking up, you know, players. Like he's like, uh, what about this guy? And he goes, how old? 26. Double A? No. Yeah, totally. And he's so, over the hill. yeah, like, <laughs> but like at that point. Yeah, that I mean, baseball is weird because you're supposed to ascend a level a year, um, and if you're not, you're probably not going to make it. Yeah. At a certain point with music, it is weird like that too. And so, I was talking to this other band. One of them moved to like New Jersey, but it's this band called Major Glenn. Mm-hmm. And you know, I said, "Are you guys cool? Like, what what is the vision for success? Because you all have successful day jobs. What if this band doesn't make it? And they go, "That's fine. Like, if we play, I don't know, 
eight, 12, 20 shows a year, whatever it is, yeah. we're happy with having this be a side hustle. Yeah. How does that calculus play out for you? How do you feel about that type of thing? I mean, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Making it is such a weird term. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, like, I have made it in music because I music allowed me to get the job at Levitt. Like, right. playing music for so long turned into, like, a successful career for me, and I got to open the sweet venue. And, like, I don't know, like, having people think I'm a quality musician and being able to get like a show at any Denver venue that I want to, like those are all degrees of success in my mind. But like yeah. ultimately I'm like an elder statesman in the Denver scene now, which is weird. Cause I don't think I'm that old, <laughs> but like, I don't Dude, know. I'm an elder statesman in Denver podcasting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, and totally. I, I'm 40 also. Yeah. I mean, it, so like, but it, I've been doing this for seven and a half years, which for a podcast is long, man. Yeah. Like that's a long show. Totally, man. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Mo- most of them flame out. So I'm so with you on this. Yeah. Well, so and so I think every musician wishes they were more successful, <laughs> except for like Bono and, and Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, but I listened to right. Joe Pug's podcast. Speaking of podcasts, it's yeah. called The Working Songwriter. And he interviews like, you know, really big names like John Moreland and, you know, like Ryan Adams has been on there and all of them, maybe not Ryan Adams. Most of them are like, how do I get to this next level? They're mm. always trying to be bigger. And like, I got stuck in that trap for a long time of like feeling like a failure. Oh. And especially with my solo stuff, which is why I kind of like did away with that name and kind of put that to bed. Is it like, was just steeped in so much like failure because mm. Tinhorn Prayer, that band I was in, like was told we were supposed to be a big deal. You know, we got signed to Paper and Plastic. And oh, like, geez, we, yeah. like, You know, we had a regional following and a, a small national following. Our singer died from that band. So, like, that was disappointing, obviously, and heartbreaking in a lot of ways. So, like, Dust Heart was, like, a continuation of, like, we'd play some of the Tin Horn songs, mm. and I had a bunch of my own material that we play, but it was, like, how do I get back to that? And yeah. how do I get bigger than that? And to constantly pursue, like the business side of it and not the music side, like I realize is a big mistake. Yeah. You know, like focusing on your craft and like, you've been doing this for seven years and like, you're good at it and you like doing it. So like, what, what do you need? Like, do you need to do this full time? Like, you know, like, do you need to make millions of dollars? Like, well, Andy, to your point, you know, people ask me like, do I make money from the podcast? Mm -hmm. I don't make money from this show. Like I break even on this show. I have one sponsor, cover my costs. It's all good. Do you need to mention them now? (laughs) Yes. Please visit four degrees. The (laughs) number four D E G R E dot E S. You'll hear me do that in the outro. But, um, I say this show facilitated me producing other shows. Yeah. This show ended up becoming like a proof of concept and I still work in this industry. I still get to do what I want to do. I work for myself. Like that is success to me. Sure. So to your point, you've had the successful music career and you still get to be in the industry. A lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll be playing in their band or whatever and they'll go to some unfulfilling shitty day job Mm -hmm. that, that allows them to, you know, they'll go work in catering or whatever. Right. And then, They'll find their joy when they're playing in their band, what, to whatever extent they're allowed to do that, or to the extent that they have bandwidth to do that. Sure. To your point, you get to be in this industry, man. Yep. Like, you open this sweet venue, you still get to, like, interact with these acts, you still get to play your music. You said you could get a gig in pretty much any venue. Sure. That's phenomenal. Totally. And so, you're right. I mean, a lot of times we, we measure ourselves about what we don't have. Yep. And that's a real trap. And I'll give you one other example. So you, we mentioned podcasts. One of my favorites is Krista Makes a Podcast. Okay. So lead singer of Lesson Jake interviews other songwriters and musicians about a key hit of theirs. So mm-hmm. he was talking at one point to is either Yellow Card or Bowling for Soup. And he said, Lesson Jake never had a crossover radio hit, which 
is the difference between you guys selling out, say, Omaha, Nebraska on a Tuesday night and us only selling 75% of the venue. Sure. Like that little 25% will kick you over the top. Yeah. But we still both get to do what we love to do all these years later after we were sort of in the mainstream. Yeah. Which is to your point. Totally. And yeah, I don't know. It's like these questions that like people think they get to ask musicians or people in the creative field. You're like, wouldn't ask that of anything else. Like if someone was like... I like snowboarding. They'd be like, well, are you professional? would be like, no. How much money do you make at it? Be like, and that qualifies how good they are. Like someone could be an amazing snowboarder yeah. and not have a, you know, a sponsorship or anything like right. that. And that doesn't mean it's not valuable, you know? So like, I don't That's know. That's a great point. That, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, less than Jake wishes they were Blink-182. And yeah. why aren't they Blink-182? I don't know. Like, why isn't Bowling for Soup as big as Blink-182? Like it's, and a lot of that, and that's what kind of finally made me feel like settled with everything. And, yeah. and Levitt has helped with that. So much of this is like, has you have no control over. No, it's, it's luck. It's not skill. It's, it's, it's luck for a lot of people not to discredit like the blink 182s or, or the big pop punk bands that have made it. But you know, some 41 isn't any better than the Fairlands from Denver. You mm-hmm. know, like those are great bands that no one's ever heard of. It's a great similar genres. And we watch these people come into Levitt and, you know, we can see the difference of like the young up and coming band who walks in and they're like so stoked on the green room and so stoked on how the way people treat them. And you know, they get fed and they're like, yeah. Oh my God, because they don't get that very often. Right. And then the bands that roll in and look at our green room and like turn their nose up at it and walk out. Oh, Jesus. And it's like, man, I think the difference between you and the smaller band is you got lucky and they haven't yet. So like, why do you get to be so like flippant and, you know, entitled, entitled about everything? Yeah. Like, so because you got lucky. You know, and yeah. and then on the other hand, like, why do you get to be so despondent and pretend that you're a failure? Because you you didn't get as lucky. Like, I say all this like I've like known this for a long time, but this is these are like new understandings that I've had. That sure, really and, and made they're probably hard one for me. They're hard one lessons too. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, and but I will say that like playing music now is the most rewarding it's ever been. Yeah, and sure, it would be great to like you know get on support tours and to get signed and but. I don't know. It's it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, again, some of that is out of your control. The The only things you can really control are your work ethic and your attitude. Totally. So you do that. Uh, some of these things will take care of themselves. And even if they don't, you know, you find success and happiness in whatever forms they come in. Yep. So you mentioned these young up and coming bands coming in and, you know, getting fed in the green room and stuff. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of something I read about you and you helped found the starving artist thing yep. through Illegal Pete's. Yeah. Tell me about that. And for anyone who doesn't know that, give give a brief kind of overview of what that is. Yeah. I mean, so after Suburban Home ended, the label founder, Virgil, and I approached Illegal Pete's about doing like music marketing for the restaurant because Illegal Pete's has always been like very music friendly. Yeah, they're cool I like mean, that. They hire enough musicians that, you know, like I worked <laughs> at Illegal Pete's too back in the day when I was in a different band because like you can tour and you can come back. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a cool thing that, you know, uh, Pete, the founder of Illegal Pete's, has always just been very generous, and he started it, yeah by doing like this starving artist program where we'd feed touring artists. And the cool thing about that is we were able to kind of revitalize that with Levitt this year. So oh, nice. they they fed all our touring bands this year uh-huh. for their kind of program. So we every time a venue an artist came through, we'd feed them. We'd hashtag starving artist. It's a great way for them to get some, you know, some exposure, reminding people that they do all this great stuff. It did transition for a while where I helped start Greater Than Records through Illegal Pete's. Oh. And they would, they put out, we put out records. And actually, that band, The New, after I had left Illegal Pete's, we had our record put out on Greater Than. And they've since kind of stopped that. But yeah, that was a cool program. And that was something that, you know, 
had some legs for a bit and turned into this kind of whole marketing arm for them to, you know, they realized who were they, who were they catering to? What kind of person do they want going to illegal Pete's? And it was musicians and bands and music fans. So yeah, yeah, it was really cool. It was, it came at a good time. And, and that was another stepping stone to like getting more that side of exposure of like being able to do cool programs for people. And that's kind of some of the stuff I still try to do at Levitt is like, sure. because we have the nonprofit and the community side, I get to do like a lot of programs that, help musicians hopefully yeah 100 percent. didn't uh greater than didn't they put out like an adam kate and holland comedy album too at one point yep yeah so yeah they did comedy for a bit i think uh ben roy yeah uh and adam yeah both had albums put out on that just recently if i finished my Gralix bingo card i got andrew on the show nice so that was good yeah. uh, i've had all three of them though and they're cool. they're all delightful and Ben Roy's band spells is one of the more fun ones to see for sure yeah so. yeah we have a good relationship with spells and uh We've toured with them. We actually played in Tijuana, Mexico with Spells <laughs> wow. a few years ago. How was that like, show? It was awesome. That was one of the best shows I've ever played. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that sounds amazing. My favorite story that uh, Ben tells about Spells is he goes, there's this guy in the audience, and he leans to his girlfriend, and he goes, oh, fuck, they're in matching outfits. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, got so into them, went and bought an armful of their merch and went up and told yeah. him that story. No, that they're, cool. I mean, yeah, they're, they're Chuck and Rob from Spells actually played in Dust Heart. Oh, really? Uh, we had the full band going. Wow. So, yeah, I've always had a good relationship with those guys, and I just went camping with Rob, and we're, we're super close. And Chuck's another really important person in, like, music. He was he did Not Bad Records, which was, like, a, a subsidiary, not a subsidiary, a contemporary of Suburban Home. And he put out, like, Out on Bale and Otto Kinton, like, a lot of cool, like, Denver bands. And now he does Snappy Little Numbers, which puts out tons of bands, like, well, Spells, of course, and yeah. uh, Despair Jordan has put out stuff with them, and... Uh, if you go to like their band camp, they just put out a 10 year compilation and it's got like a sampling of all their awesome bands. So snappy little numbers is a good Denver label. That sounds good. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll definitely check them out. My guiding philosophy in terms of business is just work hard and be nice to people. Yeah. It's not a bad it, way to go through life. And it, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a maxim that I've had, you know, tattooed on me since the beginning. Yeah. It's something again, like, like you said, it's something that I've learned. Yeah. And I've learned, in particular, Denver is a very, very small town. Yep. And if you talk to any Denver musician or Denver artist, you're going to crisscross with these people again and again and again. Sure. And you're all going to be, to use like a wrestling metaphor, you're going to be on different spots on the card Yeah. Uh, at, at various points in your career. Sure. Is that something that, that you've used as a guiding philosophy? Because, I mean, talking to you, you seem like very nice, very accommodating, very warm, very welcome. Has that kind of always been the way for you? Um. I don't know. I think I think I've said earlier. Like I always have been very empathetic. Yeah. Um, whether I, you know, I I think I wasn't maybe so like warm and inviting back in the day. I still, you know, like I I had to come to terms with a lot of like social anxiety stuff. Oh god. I don't think too. I was always as like talkative and inviting as I hope I can come across now. Yeah. But yeah, that that edict of like being kind is like a thing that people don't remember. And I always try to be kind because I can't step out of my own shoes and like i said try to be in other people's shoes and like really be helpful and i don't know if i do it as like a strategy i think it's helped me i think you know i have heard people say like oh they said you were the nicest guy and they <laughs> said and i like hearing stuff like that you know like i also try not to be a pushover especially in the music industry like oh, i've, hell no, I've yeah. yelled at people at levitt you know especially touring packages and they're like kind of dicky sound guys so i'll like i'll light people up when i need to <laughs> <laughs> you put on the gorilla suit oh, yeah. sure i mean i i think i 
as nice and, and accommodating I try to be, like, if someone, like, comes at me, like, very shitty, I'll be very shitty back. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I have no problem with, like, you know, putting up guardrails and be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yelled at uh, John Legend sound guy recently because he was being a dick, you know? like. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I mean, it's like, you got to remember, like, they're guests in this in this venue, too. So, yeah. I mean... Like there, there comes a point where you go, no, we gotta, we gotta protect the house. They're not gonna just come in here sure. and walk all over us. So well, I get that. Yeah, and I, and I always do those things. I never like when someone I think is being less accommodating, I don't throw the like, I'm the fucking deputy director. <laughs> right. I just, as a person, you know, try to be like, why are you, why are you being a dick to me? Like I have come in, I always say hi to people. I try to be nice, and then I get it. See, and that's the thing. This is the empath of me always coming on. Be like, I get it because those jobs are hard. Yeah. So when you're on crew of like a big tour, you're there. 20 hours a day sometimes. Yeah. So like, and I just think there is a thing in the music industry kind of the same way. Like people are always ready to kind of be tough. Ah, uh, sure. You know, and that kind of has gotten a lot of like the bigger names in the music industry. Mm. They've gone really far with that. So there is kind of two sides of the coin where like you kind of have, some people think they have to be this kind of tyrannical kind of yeah. mean upfront, you know, like I don't fuck around. Like, you know, the Bill Graham, that's his whole thing. He used to beat people up or the Suge Knights or whoever, you know, like, yeah, but hold vanilla ice over the balcony. <laughs> yeah, totally. Sometimes you got to hold vanilla ice over the balcony, but I still think, I don't know. I've always said there's a way to do it with kindness. I agreed. So put up a tough front, you know, no bullshit, but if people are nice to you, be super nice back. I went through some leadership training a few years ago. This was good God. This was like eight years ago at this point, but something that I took from that, that I always still use is he explained to me that a weakness is just a strength overused. And that's exactly what you're describing. Sure. Yeah. So like having some measure of toughness and being no bullshit and being upfront and forthright with people, yeah. that's perfect. You sure. do that too much, you turn into a prick. True. Yeah. And it's just too much. Yeah. Well, if you're doing it, it doesn't feel good. Like, why are you yeah. doing it? <laughs> you know, if you're like going in and you're like, man, I really should be nicer, but I got to be this way. Like, why are you doing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No, you, you've, you've lost the thread of why you're doing it. Totally. Like, if you're just twisting the knife on people for no reason. Exactly. Like, um, you know, Meryl Streep and Devil Rollers Prada or something. Yeah. You, you watch that, you go, that's got to be exhausting yeah. to exist like that. Sure. Like, just constantly put upon and put out by whatever. Yeah. So. Well, and, and I think, you know, you still have to do certain things because they make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. So, like, that usually is not going out and just being a prick to everybody. Like, it does feel good to be kind and to do things for other people. So, like, in some ways you're doing that, yeah, for them, but you're doing it to, like, kind of, for lack of a better term, like, cleanse your soul and remind yourself that, like, doing the right thing feels good. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, I don't have a strategy on, like, how to exist, but I think it's, I don't know being thoughtful and empathetic has like gotten me to a point where I, I think I at least get respect from people. And I, I just, it makes me feel like doing the right thing is always the best thing to do. And yeah, uh, hopefully I do that most times. <laughs> to totally. Uh, at a certain point I had to just like, when you're a kid, you try out lying, right? Sure. You're going to, you're going to try out uh -huh. and see how it feels. I found it way too stressful Yeah, just because I, I, you know, the truth is the easiest thing to remember because it's what happened. Sure keeping the narrative straight in my head just undid me sure. and I couldn't like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, it was too much to carry with me because it was like trying to learn lines sure. or something. And I go, I don't want to do this. Well, like I remember someone telling me once that lies carry weight. God, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's like, like exactly what I'm describing. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. It's really hard. Yeah. Like yeah. It, you're just, you're bogged down by it because you have to constantly like perform yeah. this, this lie that you've constructed. So yeah. Um, and that can kind of be like, I mean, going back to what we were talking about, like, I don't know, doing things that don't feel right to yourself, yeah. like, that's a lie. Exactly. Or, yes. like, 
I mean, trying to be honest with everything is tough. So like music stuff, I had to be honest with like what I really wanted or why I was doing it. And like that felt good to finally like have to not lie about why I wanted to do things. Yeah. And so much about making it quote unquote is to like for other people, you know, you really want to like impress everyone and get signed and show everyone how badass you are. But like deep yeah. down, like, do you really need that? You have to be honest with like why you're doing things and what you're pursuing and why you want to do it and not for other people. Cause if you're doing things for other people or for fame or accolades, like that's not honest. That's a big lie. You're yeah. telling yourself about what you're trying to do. It's for other people. Well, yeah. And lying to yourself, that's even heavier. Yeah. But I will say when you come clean with yourself about that kind of thing, it is very freeing on one hand, but on the other hand, it comes with a price. Sure. Because there's going to come a reckoning. You've been going down a path for what you think are these reasons. When you adjust those reasons to be more truthful, the path is going to change. Yeah. And that's going to come with with some costs. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. These are all things that, like, I think I like being 40 because I know these things now. God, me too. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> and 40 is where I felt for the first time a real hard disconnect from my youth. Yeah. Putting the four as the first number yep. was just, it was like a turning of the page for me mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And I go, okay, I don't have to worry about any of this shit anymore. Totally. Like, I don't have to impress anyone. I've been married. I love being married. I have yep. my kids and like I can be the, the truest version of myself that I think I've ever been. Totally. I mean, another thing that's in addition to being 40, I'm sober now, which is like really, it really disconnects me from the young, drunk, crazy 22-year-old. Sure. <laughs> and like I think back on that, you know, when I was like chain smoking cigarettes and like yeah. drunk all the time and I was like, man. I'm so far away from that. And I did those things because, like, I was kind of confused and mixed up. And, again, I don't have any problem with people still drinking. I just found it was, like, I wanted to be very aware of who I was. So yeah. being sober and being older, I just feel, you know, I don't have everything figured out. But I feel like I'm, like, I, figure, I figured it out more than I ever had in my life. So, like, being a confused, drunk 25-year-old <laughs> is not something I was ever super comfortable with. But being, like, a kind of wizened, sober 40-year-old is something I feel more... <laughs> you know, at, in, at peace with. And maybe when I'm 60, I'll look back and I'll be drunk and I'll do drugs and I'll be like, I can't believe I was sober 20 years ago. <laughs> like, what, what a waste. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> but that's the thing. You become a different person every, like, 15 years or that's so. That's a great point. So how, you know. And it's funny, like, when we talk about punk, like, I hardly listen to punk anymore. Huh. And I feel very, like, detached from that. I know it was super important to me. And I still, you know, I, I still like hearing some of those old songs and they make me feel nostalgic. But, yeah, I, like, uh, I listen to more, like, metal and like singer songwriter stuff than i ever do punk because i just think i've changed well it's funny i still listen to a shitload of punk yeah but punk is very limiting in a lot of ways yeah because me liking punk i felt like i had to not like anything else yeah like for at least a phase of that mm -hmm. where if it wasn't punk it was garbage sure and so the band garbage or <laughs> not just actual garbage no it was <laughs> uh, basura yeah. trash gotcha and so I realized when I grew out of that, I go, man, I missed out on a lot of fucking music. And, sure. and now I'll listen to everything from like, you know, like metal to old country to like Carly Rae Jepsen. Sure. You know, like I, I'll listen. I love girl pop now. Sure. Like it's, it's all, yeah. there's merit in all of it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Where you'll get something different out of each type of music. And if you're just focused in like myopically on this one genre, you're missing out on so much of life's experience. Oh, totally. That's well, frustrating. That, all that stuff was for other people too. Cause I remember when I was like, yeah, listening to punk pretty much exclusively. Yeah, like you worried about like, man, I kind of like this Deftone song. Is that like cool? <laughs> yeah, like are people is that allowed? Make fun of me for that? Like, and then yeah, that's another thing now is I, I like I I remember 
being a young punk, like always wondering if it was okay to like things. God, I felt that same way. You know, like, is it, I like this mainstream movie. Is that cool? Can I mention that? Or is that, am I going to get ostracized? Like, and now I just, everything that I like is because it's part of my extension, my personality. So I don't ever question, like, I don't know if I like squid games, that doesn't make me like, (laughs) you know, like it's too mainstream or I don't know, like anything. It's just because it's who I am. So why am I like questioning that? Or if some, you know, who the hell is going to call me a poser at 40 years old? You know, like what the hell does that mean? (laughs) And if they did, who gives a shit? (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's, you know, and going back to the whole, like the people who said that getting vaccinated isn't punk, like who, who who says that? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like where you have to be more than just a generic version of what someone thinks punk is. There's no such thing. Yeah. Be more than a collection of cliches. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's so to the, to your point, I watched Squid Game. I didn't really care for it. It wasn't for me. Poser. Now, <laughs> well played. Yeah. Uh, but now I I have the opposite problem where you know you've built up this sort of ethos for a long time. I worry if people are going to view me as being just intentionally or like in a knee jerk kind of way contrarian. Sure. Oh yeah. You know. So like you just don't like anything that anyone else likes. Yeah. Where it's like, <laughs> oh, it's popular. Like I'm going to hate it then. Sure. Like that's not the case at all. Yeah. But it like it just it it wasn't for me. Like sure, but you don't you're not thinking that yeah because you're not doing that intentionally because <laughs> I think I did do that when I was like early oh in my yeah 20s, though to be like yeah like fucking Michael Bay movies it's lame they yeah. are lame but like sure. anything that was mainstream I hated and I still don't really respond to mainstream music I still think it's very formulaic and it's not my favorite thing but most like, of it sure yeah but that's by and large like but I also like Billie Eilish so like and I like Lizzo. And I don't think do I don't really think hard like are those two people okay to like are no, they gonna make me not cares. be a punk or not a rocker because I like Billie Eilish or like yeah. you know, I like the the wombats or anything that's like super popular, like I just certain things I, I respond to those artists because I don't know. Agreed. Not me. <laughs> and and so to your point, yeah, you were like thinking if you if you needed to ask permission to like certain things. I closeted when I was when they were starting to get big. I closeted really liked Destiny's Child. Yeah. I liked what they were doing. I thought that music was killer. <laughs> I love that song, Bills, 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 especially. Yeah. So I used to just listen to it in secret. Yeah. Which is such a sad kind of pathetic thing to do. Yeah. But you be, had a be, Destiny's Child shirt under your crass <laughs> jacket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, underneath my strung out hoodie. Totally. And like, who whose opinion was I really afraid of yeah, totally. at that point? Yeah. Like if you just if you earnestly said you like something and some of this comes out of the 90s where there was a lot of like cloaking and irony and sure. Yeah. You know, um <laughs> that kind of shit. Yeah. Eventually that all kind of melted away and it's like, "No, you know what? I just like what I like." Totally. That's fine. It's funny uh I last year went camping with my friend Anthony Ruptak, who's a local singer-songwriter. He uh he does a lot of stuff with Mango House, which is not too far from where I live now, not too far from here, but it's like a cultural center for refugees and immigrants. And out of that there's a scout troop. Um, and I went camping with these scouts and all the kids with the exception of one were, were, uh, were refugees from Africa, or at least their parents were refugees. They were, you know, their, their families were refugees and they were from all over Tanzania, the Congo, Ethiopia, super rad kids. But I really liked the last Beyonce album and it was called, uh, it was called Lion King, but there was, uh, there was another title for it. But anyway, it's about like growing her kids kind of coming to terms with like their African heritage and like being proud and being proud and black and having, you know, African ancestors. So, like, I was trying to tell the kids about it. I was like, have you guys heard the new Beyonce? And I was like, it's all about, like, being from Africa and, like, being, like, an African king. And this one kid just looks at me and goes, Beyonce? She's like, I haven't listened to her in, like, 12 years. 
<laughs> and it was like the most lame thing. But I brought up Beyonce, and I was like, "People don't like Beyonce anymore." Like, I guess kids don't. Uh, Beyonce's I... for old people now, apparently. Like, but she still crushes, you know. Like, yeah, who the hell doesn't like at our age? Who's gonna say like Beyonce sucks? Yeah, really. Like, <laughs> she's amazing. I mean, uh, yeah, we've been listening to her now for the last 20 years. Yeah. So. Yeah, she's old. She's like us. She's God not. damn, she is old. But again, like, you know, I'm not then going to go out and be like, oh, apparently Beyonce is not cool. I guess I don't like that record. <laughs> yeah. Well, like. Black is King. That's what it's called. Okay. Yeah. And what, um, I mean, what kids like. I And I know that I'm getting older now because what kids like, like a lot of it makes no sense to me. Yeah. And like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. But it's not for me. That's the point. And I think that's where people, like nothing bothers me more. Well, no, there are lots. There's plenty that bothers me more, but something that really sticks in my craw is when people go, "They don't make good music anymore." Yeah, they go bullshit. Okay, like you're just not looking hard enough. Sure. And secondly, no music is going to make you feel the way about music the way the music you listen to in high school. True. Is going to make you feel that way because you don't have the memories attached to it. Yeah. But there's great music out there, man. And like, sure. even if you're an old punk, there's still great new punk being made. Totally. So, I mean, I'm, that's a good point. Like, I, I will say, you know, sometimes like. Especially working at a music venue, and just I don't know how many bands I've seen at this point, like hundreds, yeah. of hundreds of hundreds. You've so, forgotten more than most people will ever see. Totally, and sometimes like you know, bands just certain shows like don't inspire me, or I hear certain songs and they don't do anything for me. It's because I'm not as wide eyed as I was when I was 20. But when I, a band does sound like a band pops, like Idols, I just heard Idols yeah. a few years ago, and I was like, holy shit, this Idols is, is good. incredible. And I really then get into bands like that because it has a lot of noise, things that don't really stand out. I mean, there's a lot of generic kind of bands. It doesn't mean they don't have value and someone doesn't like them because someone might be 20 finding a band for the first time and they're the most important thing ever. For the most part, I do tune out a lot of stuff. And then when something clicks, I yeah. think I really get into it. So like Idols is the one band that like I – as soon as the pandemic hit and we stopped going to shows, I was like, as soon as Idols comes to Denver, I'm going to like lose it. I'm going to stage dive. I'm going to get in the mosh pit, and now they're touring, and they're missing Denver. So, oh, God. Like, I got to wait. <laughs> I know. More. There was supposed to be a – I think it was Lagwagon and Strung Out playing with Make War. Cool. And that would have been perfect for me because when I heard Make War, I go, oh, God, this brings me back. Sure. Like, this is a sound that just speaks to me. Yeah. And so the fact that people are either too closed off to that or – you know, just aren't, aren't, aren't even looking for that feeling outside of through their CDs or their Spotify or their MP3s. God, I'm so old CDs. Yeah. Right. Throwing in a disc here that I'm going to listen to <laughs> um, with my big, you know, case logic binder that totally. I keep oh, in yeah. the front seat of my car. Those at my parents' house somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I think mine are downstairs in our storage room. Nice. But uh, at, at one point, I took an entire weekend and I just put them all on my iTunes. Yeah. Like I literally sat there and I burned disc after disc after disc. Nice. It took it took like two days. Yeah. Anyway, one of the places they can find new music is at Levitt Pavilion. Mm. You are deputy director. Now's the time on the show when we do plugs. Plug any project you want. Plug Despair Jordan. Plug Levitt Pavilion. Cool. Whatever you'd like to plug, the floor is yours. Cool. Levitt, it will be back in May to do concerts again. Uh, return to do 50 free concerts and probably like 10 to 12 ticketed, maybe more. I don't know. So that's super exciting. One of the things I'm doing with Levitt that I'm super excited about is this board called Bodies of Culture which is a board comprised of all musicians of color from Denver. And I, as a non-musician of color, am not necessarily on the board, but I help facilitate it, and I kind of go out and try to find resources for them. So I'm kind of like, uh, I don't even know my title. I help the board out. I help put the board together. 
but they're doing a lot of great stuff and trying to kind of set some inequities in the music industry. You don't see a lot of representation at high levels. So True. it's kind of a governing board to try to work with some uh, younger kids of color and also to kind of work with organizations that do similar work to really like reward those organizations. Um, but anyway, that board is called Bodies of Culture, and it's got a lot of great uh, people on it. Jeff, who I'm trying to put you in touch with, is the board Oh, chair. perfect, yeah. So yeah, maybe he can talk more about that. But that's super exciting. It's something I'm working on in the offseason. Despair Jordan uh, has an EP coming out pretty soon, uh, four songs that we just recorded, including a remix by our friend Marshall, who plays in the band Teenage Wrist, who's on Epitaph mm-hmm. Records. Uh, so we're super excited about that. And then Lost Walks is slowly unveiling our second album called Blood Lantern. And if you go to bloodlantern.com, you can see the narrative and kind of how the lyrics that we have pertain to wolf science. Our whole band's about wolves. I didn't talk about Lost Walks very much, but wow. it's a lot about wolf advocacy and bringing back the wolf to Colorado. So that website has a few of the songs. They're, they kind of get unveiled a couple songs a month, and it'll be out completely on Spotify and iTunes and everything in uh December. And then I have my podcast called My City, My Scene, which is currently in a break, but should come back pretty soon. And I interview people from other countries about the music they listen to. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I checked that out briefly. It's really, really cool. Thank you. Um, we, yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but we're already over an hour. Yeah. No, I blabbed a bunch. So, so. No, no. I, <laughs> dude, you and I, when we talked the first time, I feel like we went for, I mean, like 40 minutes just getting to know each other. Totally. So, you know what? We'll have to do this again then. Sounds good. Let's, uh, let's do uh, a sequel. But uh, Andy, man, what uh, what a pleasure, what a thrill, and I can't wait to see it. Love it. I'll see you around shows, Denver, and in the interim, continued success to you, man. Cool. Thanks, John. You too. And that'll do it for episode 308 of the John of All Trades podcast with Andy Thomas, Deputy Director of Levitt Pavilion. What a thrill. What a joy. I love highlighting people like that. People I connect with immediately makes for a very easy, fun-loving, and fast-moving show. Be sure to check out all the links on the companion blog piece that's on johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. It's also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods, you can find it there. As long as you are there, please leave us a rating, leave us a review, hit that subscribe button, brand new episodes will come directly to you. The John of All Trades podcast is sponsored by 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're building a website, doing email marketing campaigns, social media marketing, online advertising, basically if you're trying to reach people online, 4Degrees is going to help you do it most effectively, most efficiently, and at a cost that's very attractive. Number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm on social media. Stay up with me there. J-O-A-T pod is the handle on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. I'm off next week. Coming up is Denver Film Festival. Very excited for that. Getting my agenda in order. Figuring out what I'm going to cover while I'm there. So, next week, look out for reposts of episodes from past Denver Film Fest. That's going to be fun. So, until I hear you again, it'll be from Denver Film Festival. Say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.